BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. The coronavirus crisis is reaching new highs in California. Thursday, the state reported its highest COVID-19 daily death toll of 250 people. That's according to the San Francisco Chronicle. In the midst of this surge, one state lawmaker thinks it's time to lock down again. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. State Senator Steve Glazer believes California reopened the economy too soon. Cases have exploded since May, and he argues the mitigation efforts since then, like a statewide mask mandate, have not been effective. It's clear that we have lost control of the coronavirus fight, and uh, you don't have to look very far to see it uh, in the numbers. The Bay Area Democrat is calling for a second round of stay-at-home orders in regions, not just counties, where more than 2% of COVID-19 tests come back positive. It's unclear exactly which areas would be affected by that criteria, but it's a high bar. Nearly two dozen counties are reporting test positivity rates above 8 percent, which is the current target. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Comprehensive immigration reform, an end to police abuse, lasting financial assistance for undocumented residents hit hard by the pandemic. Those are some of the reforms Latino leaders in Southern California are calling for with an initiative spearheaded by UCLA. With more, here's KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb. This policy document titled Shaping a 21st Century Latino Agenda outlines policy priorities for Latino communities all across California. Some of those hit hardest by COVID-19, not just in terms of health, but economics as well. We want to make clear that the future of this country is inextricably tied to the recovery of those most affected. Sonia Diaz is the director of the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative, which put these recommendations together by way of collecting the expertise of Latino leaders in academia, politics, and healthcare. He says there hasn't been nearly enough done to support Latino communities during this pandemic. We're the unemployed, the uninsured, undocumented populations. It doesn't discriminate, and it hit everyone, but adversely hit our populations. Although produced from a California perspective, where Latinos make up nearly 40% of the entire population, more than any other racial or ethnic group in the states, The initiative offers up a national vision on everything from education and housing to voting rights and political representation. The document has reportedly also been shared with governors and the presidential campaigns, with the ultimate goal of remaking the country as we climb out of this national crisis. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. 
Congress came together and passed the Great American Outdoors Act this week. President Trump still needs to sign it into law, but it would allocate more than $9 billion to help fix up our national parks and expand natural public spaces. KPCC science reporter Jacob Margolis has more about what this means for California. Experts like Marsha Argus, who runs the Pew Charitable Trust's effort to restore America's parks, sound kind of excited. This legislation is the biggest investment in our parks and public lands since World War II, and it's really a game changer for the National Park Service. There's a project backlog of about $12 billion for our parks across the country. California favorites like Joshua Tree and Yosemite all have tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in improvements needed. In Joshua Tree, for instance, it's about fixing roads and building a permanent visitor center. And in Yosemite, they need money to rehabilitate Tuolumne Meadows and build a new wastewater treatment plant there. Another big part of the bill is money for states and the federal government to buy up land and either protect habitats or make it public. For the California Report, I'm Jacob Margolis in Los Angeles. Californians, like folks in the rest of the country, aren't completing the census at the same rates they did a decade ago. President Donald Trump's efforts to exclude immigrants could be part of the reason— But the pandemic is playing a role, too. And new research suggests it's not just because it's made it harder to reach people, but because it's throwing millions more families into economic distress. Reporter Haley Gray has more. Kacharan Kaurasunar works at a grassroots organization called Faith in the Valley. She oversees a team of census outreach workers. I had hired like a team of canvassers, and the canvassers basically would go door to door. They used to pound the pavement across the Central Valley, trying to get residents to fill out their census forms. We want to make sure that everyone is getting counted. Now, her staff have had to become phone bankers making cold calls, and it's tough. They'll always tell me, like, I felt like we were having a good conversation, but then they just hung up. Coercioner says some people, especially immigrants, just don't feel safe telling the government anything about themselves. Part of that could be due to the Trump administration's failed plans to include a citizenship question on the census. And by the way, there is no such question on the current form. But inequity in who gets counted goes even further than that. Here's UC Merced politics professor Elaine Denny. Even before and including the 2020 census, communities of color lower-income communities, lower-age households are significantly less likely to complete the census. That's a really big deal, because the government uses the census to figure out how much money communities get for stuff like school breakfasts, Section 8 housing vouchers, and even funding for roads and highways, just to name a few. So Denny conducted a couple of surveys— One was nationwide, another was of hundreds of students at UC Merced, where more than half are Latino and about 60 percent are eligible for financial aid. Folks who've been hit hard by the pandemic. What we found is that over 50 percent of our students are from families that experienced some sort of major financial shock in the last year. She found that losing a job or having your hours cut made people less likely to complete the census. We see that regardless of what financial cushion I had starting out, if I'm in a family where there was layoff or some major financial shock, my census completion rate in April was lower. She thinks for people who are coping with some major crisis in their life, making rent, putting food on the table, stuff like filling out the census kind of understandably falls to the bottom of the to-do list. Different kinds of COVID-related 
shocks and stressors can get in the way of short-term participation in the political process. The good news, Denny found that since April, completion rates have been going up a little. But in California, they're still five percentage points behind 2010 rates. And the difference between affluent and low-income and communities of color can be pretty stark. Here's an example. In the relatively wealthy northern part of Fresno, as many as 80 percent of households have responded so far. But in South Fresno, where incomes are lower, response rates are as low as 45 percent. And that could impact who gets resources and political power for the next 10 years. For The California Report, I'm Haley Gray. If not for the pandemic, Comic-Con would be in full swing right now, bringing lots of people and lots of money to San Diego. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman says downtown businesses are missing the mega convention. It's been a a challenging summer for sure. Michael Trimble is executive director of the Gaslamp Quarter Association. The group represents more than 400 businesses that are just blocks away from the convention center, where every year more than 130,000 people gather for Comic-Con. Really, it becomes a a great economic boom for the Gaslamp Quarter as well as San Diego. And as for tourism, it's really one of those number one things that get people to San Diego to stay in hotels. But this year, the pandemic has forced the event that brings an estimated $150 million to San Diego to go online. Gaslamp Quarter really relies on the convention center and convention business coming to San Diego. So really, it's important to get that convention center back opening and selling San Diego as a convention destination. La Porta Restaurant and Bar is just a few blocks away from Comic-Con HQ. Five years in a row, we've set record numbers during Comic-Con. The last five years in a row, we've had record months in July. Owner Merritt Powell estimates sales will be down 90% compared to a normal Comic-Con week. Yeah, I would say that not having Comic-Con isn't going to make or break us. Uh, Obviously, it's usually the best month of the year for us, the best week of the year for us. Uh, Right now, I mean, it would be nice to have it, but there's so many other things going on with the restrictions. With indoor dining prohibited and no outside patio, La Puerta has had to get creative. With the help of the city, they have moved tables to the sidewalk and the street, and they're hoping customers embrace these new options. For the California Report, I'm Matt Hoffman in San Diego. Now to an update on a story we first brought you back in 2017. It's about Matt Hay, who was in his early 20s when doctors told him he was going to lose his hearing. He started getting ready for that, taking sign language classes and learning how to read lips. He also got really into music while he still could. Matt's story was first reported by KQED health correspondent April Demboski and is now headed to Hollywood. More on that in a moment. April joins me now. Hi, April. Hi, Lily. So tell us about Matt. Why was he going to lose his hearing? So when Matt was a sophomore in college, he was diagnosed with a rare disease. It's called neurofibromatosis type 2. It causes benign tumors to grow in the head and neck. And for Matt, they started pressing up against his hearing nerves. So early on, doctors tried to operate, but his hearing nerves were so entwined with the tumors that they would have had to cut them to get them out, and Matt would have lost his hearing right away. So instead... They left the tumors there, and Matt gradually lost his hearing over a number of years as the tumors got bigger. How is he doing now? Matt eventually did go completely deaf in his late 20s, but he has a sophisticated device now that's implanted in his brainstem. It allows him to hear electronically. Uh, Matt's in his 40s now. He's married and has three kids, and he works for an audiology company selling 
the latest hearing aid technology. Well, before Matt lost his hearing, he spent a lot of time listening to music, knowing that he'd probably never be able to hear new music after a certain point. And that forms the basis of your story. I think Matt puts this really well. Here's here's what he told me. So when you think about getting a song stuck in your head, that usually just happens till you hear the next song and then that one gets stuck in your head. I found myself in a moment where I thought, what songs do I want stuck in my head for the rest of my life? So while most of us will never experience the kind of disease that Matt has, I would guess that we all have songs that really meant a lot to us at different points in our lives. So for me, the music that I listened to in college is not the same music that I listen to now. But maybe I would have curated my soundtrack differently if I knew that that was all I was going to have. That's such an interesting concept, the soundtrack of our lives. I do admit, I I don't think I've really moved on from the 90s, but that's just me. (laughs) The story is now being turned into a Hollywood film. How did it come to be that this was going to be turned into a movie? So this is a totally new world to me. Um, About a year after the radio story came out, I got a phone call from a Hollywood agent. And she said, I listened to the story and I think it can be a movie. The pieces just kept coming together bit by bit. A, A production company signed on, then a screenwriter, and then a lead actor, and then Paramount Pictures bought the rights. That's super exciting. Well, we can't wait to watch it. And the story is going to be featured in full on this weekend's episode of the California Report magazine, our sister program. April Demboski, health correspondent for KQED. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that's the California Report for this Friday, July 24th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Alice Wolfley, and Holly J. McDeed. Our intern is Nina Sparling, and our editor is Angela Corral. Our managing editor is Vinnie Tong, our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, visit earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 